Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Preparis. Not joining me this week is Brenna Calvert. This episode is brought to you by Harbinger Fitness. If you're looking for weight training apparel, belts, lifting straps, wrist wraps, weight vests, or fat bar grips to work on your grip strength training, uh, head over to harbingerfitness.com and pick some of those up. When we started this podcast a couple months ago, we said there was like three main reasons we're doing it. You know, we don't want to be in competition with the other OCR podcasts because there's some great ones out there, like Overcome and Run and Dirt in Your Skirt. Uh, but we did want to highlight a couple different things. Uh, one, wanted to give back to the OCR community. Two, we wanted to highlight smaller race series. And both of those, I think we've been doing really well since the beginning. And the third thing we wanted to do was bring in athletes from other sports. And we haven't been doing as good of a job of that as I would have liked. Uh, you know, we did have uh, Noah Kaufman from Ninja Warrior on, so that's kind of, it's basically the same thing as OCR, and we did have Logan Nagel on, who is on the show, The Selection, talking about some mental toughness stuff. However, finally, I would say we legitimately are crossing over into a new sport and talking about a new topic. Um, so with that, uh, we have Cal Beck on the show. He's a strong man who's been competing in strongman competitions since 2007, uh, his competitive highlights include winning California's Strongest Man, along with multiple state championships. He's got three top ten finishes at Nationals, two invites to Arnold World Championships, including a sixth place in 2013. And in 2014, Cal founded StartingStrongMan.com, which has turned into one of the top resources for strongman training. Also hosts a podcast uh, along the same name. So, Cal, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's uh, the Strong Talk podcast I host, but you've uh, yeah, but yeah, and then we just interview uh, other strongman competitors and all that. But uh, I appreciate it. Uh, I've noticed I've had some uh, you know friends that also do strongman and do some some OCR as well, and they've they've told me that you know they'll they'll be running along and they'll see uh, some implements that seem fair you know somewhat familiar. So I think uh, there's some good overlap there and. So I'm, I, I actually kind of want to pick your brain a little bit on what all is involved, what kind of uh, odd objects like that you see in, in those races, just to, so I learn a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so with that, uh, kind of the, you know, some of you may be listening and thinking, why do we have a strong man on the podcast? Uh, so the first main reason is grip strength training. You know, uh, intensity and duration, I think, are somewhat comparable to, um, between OCR and strong man, although... Strongman's doing like ridiculous weights. We're we're doing what feels like a lot of weight for us, but it's probably not that much. Uh, two is kind of draw some comparisons between the two sports, uh, kind of the progression and how they both kind of are niche sports, like we said. And then three, um, just kind of see see where the future's taking us. Um, so, all right. So uh, let's. I guess let's start off with just. For those of our listeners who are unaware, I know uh, I, I watch World's Strongest Man on TV pretty much every Christmas, but that's about it. Um, so give us, like, an overview of Strongman. Like, what's a typical event, and what are the typical, like, uh, sub-events within each competition? 
Sure. I think the, you know, I think pretty much everyone that's, you know, been alive and is for the past 40 years has seen World's Strongest Man at, at some point. And uh, that's the only real, uh, you know, only real glimpse into what strongman is. And the, the main thing to say is that there is an amateur level of the sport, you know, from novice all the way up. I'm sure similar to uh, how, how your sport is, you know, there's whole different levels and uh, there's also weight classes. So for myself, I've competed as a lightweight, which is 175 pounds, which is a, a very, you know, very average kind of weight. And, uh, you know, not uh, that's a, and there's also a 150 pound class. And then there's, weight classes uh, for the women all the way down to 140, 125, or 120, I think. So just want to put it out there for anyone that there is overlap um, and that you don't have to be six foot five and 350 pounds to do it. That, that would be the, the main thing that people should take away from this. Um, so how an event is generally constructed is uh, most amateur level one-day competitions are going to be five events. And you're going to have, and I, I put, and they're, they're odd objects, right? So World's Strongest Man, it's a, it's a weird sport because it was a TV show first that evolved into a sport, uh, which, which is unusual. Usually sports are, you know, we're, we're a, a sport, and then how do we get on television? It went the opposite direction. It's like, how can we get, the, you know, some strong people in all together and see who's the strongest doing various uh, feats of strength that that are uh, unique and visually appealing. So they're odd objects. So instead of using, you know, like a typical barbell uh, setup, um, you know, they, you know, you're going to do something like uh, it's going to be a thicker bar or, you know, that's the size of a Coke can, like an axle with tires on, on the end, or we're just going to have like a, a rough cut log, you know, just, so that's mainly the gist of the sport is uh, making things, you know, visually making feats of strength relatable to the general public. Just like if you guys are, it, you, it's, you know, OCR, I think a little different than just out trail running. You got to make stuff to make it seem, you know, even more impressive to the general public, like, uh, you know, scaling a big old wall or, right. and, or other stuff. Um, but how, you know, of course, after that, there becomes a formula of how do you actually test who is the strongest through multiple disciplines. So generally how, of generally an amateur contest that's one day is going to have five events and they fall into a couple of classes in each event. There's going to be some sort of ground overhead where you're going to pick up uh, an object off of the floor and put it over your head, you know, in any fashion, you know, like a clean and jerk or a push press, et cetera. And that's going to be any number of implements from a giant dumbbell that you lift with one arm to like I said, uh, a big old log or axle of tires it could be a block. It could be a fire hydrant. That's the great thing about it. You know, like you, you, you just think of something that would be hard to do and it can become an event. Um, there's going to be some sort of deadlift, which is pretty self-explanatory. Just picking any sort of object off of the floor and standing up, you know, hips locked. And that could be the back of a car, you know, an axle, various heights. There's no standardization compared to uh, other barbell or strength sports like powerlifting or weightlifting, et cetera. It's just uh, there's themes, of course, but there's no standardization. There's going to be some sort of moving event. If uh, you guys ever do like a farmer's walk or like a yoke carry, like either, you know, something on your back or, uh, you know, holding your arms, you know, in your hands, and, uh, and that's usually going to be contested for time. Generally, it's a 50- to 100-foot course, um, 
that's about in that's about it. So that's going to be a moving event. There's going to be medleys, which is going to be multiple multiple events that you have to do in a row, which is going to be a and that could be like a, a sandbag, you know, atlas stone, and depending on what weight class you for men, it's going to be somewhere around like 200 to 350 pounds each, and doing like four implements. And uh, then there's going to be some sort of loading event, which every, which is probably the most iconic. Is when I say loading, it's picking an object up and putting it onto or over a platform. Uh, and the most iconic, of course, is Atlas Stones, but that could be anything as well. And there's there's other variations, and they're like throwing events, like a keg toss or you know truck pull. But th- that's that's pretty much the meat of it. What you're gonna see at most, you know, 90% of uh, Amateur contests are going to be constructed in that fashion with some some variation of those standard tests of strength. Gotcha. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna hone in on the farmer's walk and kind of grip strength stuff in a minute. Um, but I know like world's strongest man has a lot of a lot more moving stuff, and like the Arnold Classic is more like static strength. Is that correct? Did you. Yeah, uh, generally, the the Arnold Classic is in Ohio every year, and that's the heaviest uh, strongman contest there is. Uh, over time, the you know historically, World's Strongest Man has uh, fav- has been a little bit lighter with more athletic events like Farmer's Walk or like a big old shield carry where you just have or they had, you know they had to carry like a stone that's shaped like Africa as far as they could, you know that weighs four hundred pounds and you got to carry it. 200, 300 feet in front of you in, in the crooks of your arm, like events like that, they're a little bit more athletic, a little bit more dynamic, where the Arnold's just like, let's make this really heavy and no one's walking more than 30 feet with an implement. You yeah. know, we're talking 1,500-pound yoke on your back. Uh, but this year, they just announced the, the events for Worlds, and it's actually very static, so... Um, the, that line's getting blurred a little bit more. Where it actually has a a press, it has a Viking press, a deadlift, and a squat all in the finals. So that's you know three out of three out of six events are all you know static stationary lifts. But yeah, historically, generally speaking, that's that's been the case. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. So uh, let's say someone's prepping for something like. Uh, the Arnold or, or World Strongest Man or an amateur one, whatever. What does like a typical mm-hmm. training week look like? You know, how many how many days of the week are you lifting? How many are kind of more barbell focused, or how many are you know very specific like lifting Atlas stones stuff like that? Kind of take us through a week. Yeah, if, if the higher up you get in the sport and the higher level, uh, the closer you get to a contest, the more specific you're going to want your training. Um, you know, so like. Brian Shaw, let's say Worlds is in a couple of weeks at this point. He's he's probably you know Brian Shaw, current world's strongest man. He's he's probably just practicing a couple of the events every day at this point. But for you know the average competitor, they still have to build up that base strength, and they're not a full time athlete, so it's it's harder to set up all the all the event training. And most people. It's changing now that there's more and more access to implements and, and events, but most people generally do about three gym days a week and then uh, an event day on Saturday or Sunday when they have more time and everyone gets together as a group. Uh, if you can get more practice with implements, that helps. But gen- how I set up a training program is going to be there's going to be you know, some sort of uh, 
overhead, you know, vertical uh, pressing and pulling. So that would be like my overhead day, like work on log clean and press, some pull-ups, some shoulder accessory stuff, uh, you know, upper backs, upper back movements, um, stuff like that. Uh, some sort of deadlift, back hamstring day, uh, you know, throwing squat squats in there as well. And uh, I like a second press day just to, for actually still utilizing bench press because uh, I feel it builds upper body strength a lot. And then generally I'll throw squats in with uh, with events. So we'll do maybe some front squats, some walking lunges, then, uh, you know, some farmers or yoke carry, then like a moving event. That's a very rough uh, you know, layout of like a, a training program for a strong man. And, you know, cause there's, so, there's so many different disciplines and skills you have to work on, but there's general, there's generalities. You kind of know what's going to be the most specific, uh, list that kind of carry over to everything else. So we're going to focus on that the most and you know, for the most part. And as, uh, things close in closer to contest, you kind of, hone in and do more events and less gym lifts. So it might, might combine, uh, you know, squats and deadlifts or sometimes even just stop squatting in for a couple of weeks altogether and do, you know, more yoke runs and more Atlas stones, et cetera, you know, like four weeks out of a contest. Gotcha. I know, uh, so most of your events like really don't exceed a minute, uh, but I know like the medley and the loading event, um, and some of the, like the yoke carries involves, you know, Mm-hmm. essentially cardio plus strength is there do you guys do any cardio typically or you just kind of use the specific training for doing the yoke carry or, or uh doing those loading events as you, as your cardio I, I think it's smart to do some cardio that's been a trend lately as you know as people keep continue to do sports you kind of learn that there is a you know just getting the adapt adaptations from low intensity cardio that the, all the benefits that go with that. Of course, I work with a uh, complete human performance coaching with them and uh, Alex Viata, uh, you know, him and his team. I've learned a lot on that aspect of incorporating cardio into my own training and my clients training. And I've seen big benefits. So, but it doesn't have to be a lot, especially if you're talking a lot of people that, you know, they're big guys, you know, 300 plus pound guy. You, you could just, I'm telling them like, you know, we're, we're starting out, we're doing 15 minutes of walking three times a week. You know, it's nothing intense. It's not taking away anything else, but over time, uh, that's going to help build a better aerobic base. Because what people don't understand, these are long days. I just got back from helping uh, my good friend, uh, Robert Obers, who's a pro strongman, compete in a show out in uh, North Carolina in Charlotte. And he's, you know, it's only ends up being three minutes of total work, but we're out there for nine hours. <laughs> you know, he's deadlifting over 800 pounds and lifting close to 300 pounds with one arm over his head and, and, you know, doing some brutal medleys in there too. So, uh, you want to make sure that you still have that, uh, endurance and stamina and that you're a hundred percent recovered in between events. And, uh, he's incorporated a lot of longer walks and some more traditional cardio in his training recently and dropped about, uh, 50, 60 pounds. And that was the biggest change I saw in him in between events was, used to have that, you could tell their blood pressure is still really high after events and it takes longer for everything to settle back to normal. You know, he's sweating a lot is how it would be, you know, before he lost the weight and doing the cardio. And now he just looked like we just have a conversation shortly after, you know, he just went through, you know, 60 seconds of max effort 
in an event, and then he's still 100. You know, he wasn't waning by the end of the day. So that's the main reason we're we're, uh, incorporating cardio into training. I feel a lot more uh, strongly than should. Gotcha. Yeah, he's a he's a huge dude. I met him at uh, it was like Arnold Classic 2000. I want to say 12. He was manning one of the booths. Uh, I can't remember. Maybe for a supplement company mm-hmm. or something. He's he's like probably he's Gat, like, probably a sponsor. <laughs> yeah, probably. He's he, how tall is he? Uh, he's about six seven, six eight. Depends on uh, on yeah. who he, who, you know, who he's trying to impress. But yeah, yeah he's a big guy. I'm but, five uh, six. Yeah, we're, so we uh, train together. Yeah, he, exactly. I remember I'm, walking I'm, around the festival and being like, that man is a giant. So. Yeah, yeah, man. Um, yeah, he, I'm five seven as well, and I remember the first time I I trained with him. He he didn't know what strongman really was. It was just like second training day ever, and I saw him like put a 340 pound log over his head, and I was like, hey, like that's not normal. <laughs> so uh, pretty much since you know we, we're we're best friends and uh, you know help uh, help each other out a lot, and you know like we bounce. I wouldn't say I train him, but we bounce ideas off each other, and you know like I said, I go to events to help him out. But uh, th- that kind of you know reiterates that uh, strongman's pretty much for it is for everyone. Like I'm you know five seven, hundred ninety two hundred pounds, and you know he was at one point four hundred twenty pounds at six foot eight. We still train together and uh, both both learn from from each other. Wow. He, he still never beat me in a car deadlift, but <laughs> closer you're, you're a little closer to the ground helps with the leverage. Yeah, hey man, I'll, I'll take the one event in strongman that it pays to be short in. I'll I'll take it. You know, yep. and every other every other event, it generally uh, it's a tall man's sport. You know, big tall man sport for the most part, but if I can have an advantage in one thing, I'm I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to hold on to it. Yeah. When I was lifting heavy, my, my deadlift was well above average compared to like my bench and my squat. Like they were, those two were kind of weak and my deadlift was like super high. I was like, Oh, so benefit of being short, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Deadlift. Uh, it's more limb length, but with a car deadlift, it's side handle. Uh, so it's it's less of a deadlift, more like a, a leg press, hack squat, like weird, oh, weird lift. So it's a lot of quads. So I, it it's even more beneficial to be short on on that one. Where um, with deadlift, you just want you want your proportions to be to be long, you know. But yeah, yeah if you can, it doesn't matter if it, if your bench sucks. If you can deadlift, that's uh, it's, that's kind of like the truest test of strength, in my opinion. So as long as you got a good deadlift. Yeah, I've uh, I've reduced. I don't deadlift much sure. anymore with obstacle course racing. I I just end up training so much sure. specific stuff for that that it's uh, it's kind of fallen by the wayside. But it used to be my favorite uh, workout day of the week. Yeah, it's 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 so taxing um, on your recovery that it doesn't make too much sense for for other sports, especially if you're already pretty proficient. You have enough back strength and and everything else for your your specific demands that you want your body to do. There's a, a you know, even just being semi-retired or whatever, whatever the hell I am right now, that every time I deadlift and I feel, I kind of have that feeling for like the next three days. I'm like, I should have just done something easier, but it's still fun to, you know, pull three times your body weight or something at, at some point. Yep. Um, that being said, I think for, for OCR athletes who are 
in the process of building strength and they don't have that, that strong base, I think there's a lot of value in deadlifting, especially for things like tire sure. flips, you know? Like, I mean, that, that translates very well. You just kind of got to adjust some of the uh, – so your hand positioning and kind of work on your form a little bit. But Yeah, it, being able to pick heavy things up off the floor carries over to a lot of things in, in a lot of sports in life. But that's why – that, that was like everyone cherry picks things when you say it. I'm not saying you are. I'm saying when people are listening, uh, th- that was the point when I said when you're already proficient enough in that strength, there's not much more point to keep building on that. But, yeah, if you have no strength training background, then – you know, getting some some more uh, deadlifting strength is going to help pretty much everyone. But it's the same thing, even like like if we're talking about cardio for for strongman. If like I don't, we don't need to go out and run a half marathon, but we should be able to make get up some stairs without you know wanting to pass out and take a break halfway. It's probably going to be beneficial. You just need to you know have some base level um, gotcha. to carry over into your other strengths. Okay, so the for obstacle course racing, I mean the kind of the I think the the main crossover points. I mean we we do sandbag carries and stuff like that, but they're a mm-hmm. lot longer in duration than something like your loading race. Like our sandbag sure. carries can be five to I mean twenty minutes. Who like I mean depending on how fast you're moving. Um, but a lot of our obstacles, especially uh, in some venue, some race series, are mandatory completion. So like grip strength has become kind of like the sec- like besides being able to run fast, probably the second most important thing is grip strength. And usually it's yeah. um, crossing these rigs. So like there'll be rings and ropes and fat monkey bars and nunchucks and you know uh, dangling ropes or a bunch of little ropes. So it's all about you know grip strength and body weight uh, proportional to grip strength. Um, so I know you guys have farmers carries as one of your event, uh, and we we had a series called Battle Frog that used to do jerry can carry so it's essentially a farmer's carry mm-hmm. significantly lighter weight i mean it's like i guess 30 pounds in each hand um but it's you know it's fairly long it could be like a quarter mile and maybe a pill or something like that so what do you yeah what do strongmen so what do strongmen let's say like you have a strongman and he's pretty proficient in a lot of the other uh strength lifts but he is do not doing well in farmer's carry like what would you what would some tips you'd give him to improve? Yeah, that was me for a long time. I was very strong statically for my weight class, uh, you know, being a lightweight. But, oh, man, like, uh, you know, we have to, even as a lightweight, we'd have to carry sometimes 280, near 300 pounds in each hand for 60 feet. And if you can't complete it, then you're leaving a lot of points on the table. And uh, what I'd say to myself was, I wish I was born with bigger hands. <laughs> it's a very genetic thing. Uh, you know, if you have a, a, like, everyone I know that has an amazing grip for the most part has these giant, you know, just these, you know, giant paws. Uh, so, you know, because it's just a better leverage, just like we're talking about in deadlift. But what I found that actually did help me was uh, I was training my grip too much which uh, it seems counterproductive, and I wouldn't say that that's the best advice for everyone, Um, but I I struggled for years and years to get my grip up to par and eventually was able to walk, you know, with like 320-pound farmers for 50 feet in training and I think 280 or so in a contest at one point. And I used to, like, drop, like, 220 pounds um, and not be able to complete it. Um, Hmm. So the the main – and what I found was just uh, not – was 
not training it so often. Like I went, you know, I went crazy. Okay. I need to buy grip, you know, like, uh, you know, captains of crush grippers. I need to train pinch grip after this workout, then this. And then I found that my grip was always just, uh, was always taxed or don't wear straps on anything, any of my deadlifts. And as soon as I, I, um, started training, I just basically do heavy farmers walks. I, I feel like grip's very specific. So if the only grip test I'm going to have is farmer's walks, then um, then my grip is going to be uh, – that's that's how I'm, I need to train my grip. Um, it's very different between crushing strength, uh, pinch – you know, crushing strength like a gripper or having to squeeze something very hard one time where I need static hold. I need to be a hold. And it seems like that's the same for OCRs, that you need to be able to hold on to something for a long time. Um, yeah, it's about, I mean, so, I'd say most rigs you can cross in under a minute. Um, but are you, are you constantly opening and closing your hand on, on those implements? Yeah, or so you're, like, I mean, there's okay. like 16 different holds to cross the rig. So, like, you'll go from a rope to a ring to, a, um, like I said, nunchuck to another rope to another ring to a bar. Sure. A lot, a lot of opening and closing. Um, like I said, it, it takes a minute if you're moving slow. At least I think so. Uh, it probably takes like mm-hmm. 30 seconds most of the time to cross the actual rig. Okay, yeah, so that's less, like, that's going to be very different how you want to train that compared to, you know, walk walking for 15 minutes with some jerry cans, which is going to be very uh, static and uh, endurance. For that, uh, I'd, it, I'd just do uh, more volume on, uh, you know, those specific things, even it seems like pull-ups. Uh, you know, with uh, the various uh, kind of, you know, grips that you're going to use, like, you know, from ropes or towels and just build up that strength because, of course, you're crossing, so you're also contracting and, you know, pulling up, um, crossing something, you know, you have to keep yourself. You don't want to be just dangling there, I imagine. So I'd say just a lot of pull-ups, but but it's probably important also to rest your grip for two weeks before you have a big race um, because I feel like, that's what I always did is I'd build and build and build my grip strength up and then uh, and make sure to take two or three weeks off from heavy grip training. And then on that day, my grip would feel a lot stronger. As I feel like it, it especially if you're not, uh, you know, one of those people that are uh, born with a great grip and big hands, it takes a while to recover from. Like whatever lifts you're, or, you know, kind of skills you're not, very good at seem to be harder on your body like you can see some people that can deadlift multiple times a week but they have perfect leverages so um just just yeah just, that would be the main thing is to actually rest a little bit on the that's like definitely don't train it like a very hard or heavy like a week or so before you know and uh focus more on stuff that would be a you know a little faster to recover from but uh I, grip being very specific trains specifically for that like different holds you know different ways you're doing it like opening and closing your hands like i don't that's what i was saying like i don't feel like grippers carried over very well to me doing farmers walk to me doing farmers walks and also i i feel like that crushing something and it automatically is trying to open up your hand it almost trains your yourself to let go if that makes sense uh so just I've found when I when I describe training grip for a strongman, I say to hold on to th- heavy things for a long time because <laughs> that's what we're doing is we're you know doing static holds for the most part. Even if we're moving with them, our grip the main thing is just not drop. So train your grip in in that manner. 
Um, I could see some benefit of doing um, some gripper work, but again, I think they're they're taxing. So just be wary of it. I, I like holds with them, but not like one rep max, like trying to close the heaviest gripper you can. Gotcha. Okay. I, I think some but I, pretty solid advice there, specificity, and also, uh, you know, making sure you taper in time for races, just like we do with, you know, running, stuff like that. So. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So, uh, any of your any of your episodes on your strongman podcast talk about grip strength training at all? Are there any like focused ones? Yeah, I have a a couple videos on my YouTube channel about grip. I have one on how to set your grip on farmers walk, uh, which I think is important. Where I don't I don't think it would be as important when you're not doing you know maximal weights like that. But with like a really heavy farmers carry, just just learning to put it like deep inside my palm instead of holding it in my finger uh, helped a lot. So just just thinking about that, it, it hurts, but if the more surface area you're crushing, um, whatever you're holding on to with, and you know the deeper you have it set in your palm instead of in your fingers, the stronger grip you're gonna have. But yeah, I I probably should have a some someone on that's actually a grip specialist in the sport because you know there's there's specific grip competitions themselves like uh Ode Haugen uh is always promoting he's a le- he's a legendary uh strength athlete from Norway that lives in Southern California now and he's sev- he's like 70 and still lifting a you know a 2 inch axle with over 400 pounds with double overhand and no straps which is I, I I I think the most I ever did was like 280 or 300 so it's a it's a ton of weight and yeah, I think. Well, no, I, I, he's probably gonna get mad if I said four hundred. I think he's doing over five. So, you're familiar with the website Iron Mind? I'm, I'm assuming. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I they have uh, a lot of good products on. Yep. When I uh, when I initially you know started getting into OCR, I looked to them for a lot of their uh, grip strength training stuff, and I know they have like their cube concept, which you know covers the different types of grip strength, like crushing and pinching and open mm-hmm. hand and closed hand. So I know I kind of, as I went through trying to improve my own grip strength, you know, I would try to pick one of those aspects and try to focus on it per work, you know, per workout and then take rest days. So I don't know. I, I think yeah. it's valuable because in OCR, again, you're sometimes you're grabbing, you know, a lot of times you're grabbing monkey bars, but I mean, I've grabbed mm-hmm. so many bars in my lifetime between, you know, strength training and then just obstacle racing, like, if, if it's a, just a regular bar, like I'm not gonna let go. It, like my my grip is good enough that it's gonna it's gonna latch onto that thing and it's gonna hold on. But the you know nunchucks where my grip is vertical or maybe a very fat monkey bar that I'm not used to, I think that's where um, you know I, personally I I've been challenged in the past and that's where I think a lot of athletes kind of hit a hit a sticking point because they they own they're only training on skinny uh, skinny pull up bars and they're not training on anything fat or awkward or, you know, pointed in the wrong direction. So. Yeah, it completely changes uh, how it tests how it tests your grip, depending on the size, just even, like, w- we see the difference even with just farmer's walks. Like, uh, you know, I just promoted California Strongest Woman, and we had a, a farmer's walk, and people were wondering why we had, it, we had it so light compared to, like, what they did, and they didn't realize, you know, the handles are just a, a tiny bit bigger, um, they're kind of slick because they had powder coating on them. You know, they weren't just bare metal. And little changes like that can make all the difference. And you saw people are slipping out of their hands just because they were a quarter inch bigger than what they're training on. 
you know, so it's it's one it, like strongman's not a standardized sport, and I believe OCR isn't either it's either. Not. So you 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 don't want to standardize your training like you would if you're doing powerlifting, where you know the specs of what you're going to be your competition is going to be. You know, it's going to be this type of plates, this type of platform, this type of you know squat rack, you know this type of bar. Uh, you kind of know, so you have to train more varied and be ready for everything. The more specific you keep your training, then you're not going to be prepared if there's slight deviations on the equipment that you encounter. I think that's very, very good point. Um, you know, we're part part of our, I'd say, us as a community or as a sport is having like a big push to get into the Olympics. There's kind of that, but the problem with that is if you try to get to the yeah. Olympics you're going to have to standardize everything, right? So everything has to be repeatable yep. and, you know, measurable. and It'll probably have to be on a track, and, you know, there'll only be the monkey bars will be, you know, X number of feet long with Y number of rungs, and there really won't be any variation. Um, but the way the sport is now, and I, the thing I love about it is there's just so much variability. I mean, you go to one race, and the obstacles are essentially super easy. Uh, like a Warrior Dash, you can essentially just – like basically, a runner can show up to a warrior dash and win. Uh, versus uh, their series sure. I race for conquer the gauntlet, you know, has a pegboard in the middle of their obstacle course, which you know most athletes can't do a pegboard. It's hard unless you specifically train for that. So. Um, sure. Yeah, I I think uh, people get too wrapped up inside and they kind of forget what what drew them to the sport in the first place. Like. Uh, you know, drawing the comparison between powerlifting and, uh, you know, strongman or, you know, weightlifting, I feel like it's kind of your mindset. Like, lots of people like everything to be put in neat little boxes, and they kind of know what it's going to be, and then that's just the whole reason I I fell in love with strongman is there was just always something new. Like, as soon as I got really good at something, there's a whole new twist. I'm like, well, crap, this event that just showed up, I'm horrible at it, so i got to figure it out. And then you go, and it's just not standard. So yeah, it doesn't fit in the Olympics. And of course, we you know that same kind of uh, talk is goes on in you know our community as well. And I think it's just kind of silly. If you look at like weightlifting, it's so it's it's like what like I love it. I think it's beautiful. But for me, like it's like watching like golf. Everyone has to be quiet. Like I've trained in weightlifting gyms, and you know. Like I have friends that do OCR and stuff, and it seems like that's kind of the appeal. You can wear whatever you want. You can you dress dress up in different costumes to some extent. It, that's not going to be part of the sport if uh, if you want it to go that route and become more professional and be considered, you know, like an Olympic sport. And the same with strongman. Like I like that you know a guy gets done. I was just at a contest. He got done deadlifting, tore his shirt off, and threw in the crowd. Like that's not going to happen <laughs> if it's in the Olympics. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. So you said earlier, so World's Strongest Man, the uh, like kind of the TV series was kind of the start of the sport. Um, mm-hmm. And I know there's other. I think it's similar to obstacles racing. So I, I've heard of like Giants Live. Is there sure? Are there Dirt. are there multiple brands that feed into World's Strongest Man, or is there multiple World Championships? Because kind of like that's the way obstacle course racing is right now. There's like each kind of brand has their own world championship, and then there's one like non-brand specific championship. So. Uh, yeah, you- there's there's one that like everyone considers the world championship, and then everyone else attaches their acronym to it, and then says it's their world championship. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to answer that. I, I get. 
I, I get it. There's politics and, and all of these things. It's so silly. Everyone's just trying to have fun and it all gets uh, political, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, there's basically a, there always was just World's Strongest Man and pretty much everything kind of fed into World's Strongest Man at some point. Then, of course, eventually things kind of branch off. Uh, there's amateur, amateur uh, divisions were started in America and that was called North American Strongman Championships and that did huge things for the sport. Uh, your North American strongman, sorry, and that did huge things for the sport and uh, kind of, uh, and it really served as a good feeder and they developed a pro class and then, so it wasn't just like a good old boys club of, I'm going to invite my friend and then, you know, they're sitting there, this guy just keeps getting invited to Worlds and, you know, there's someone stronger now, but he can't get in, but that helped and that was, you know, at the point that was how it worked and it's kind of getting a little bit back more to the good old boys club again, it seems. Uh, but yeah, there, and then, but now, uh, Giants Live is like the official qualifying series for World's Strongest Man. And then there's other, uh, you know, now like the Arnold has multiple, like the Arnold Classic in Ohio, that's one everyone thinks about. Now they have Arnold's everywhere, all over the place. I think there's one just in Brazil, which is this past weekend, which is like the Arnold uh, South America. Then there's Arnold, there's Arnold uh, South Africa. There's Arnold Australia, et cetera. So they have a whole points division on those that was started this last year, and that's how you qualify for the Arnold World Championships, which is now called the Arnold World Series. There's Ultimate Strongman in the UK that had a World Championships. There's you know the there's now there's two amateur federations in. America, United States Strongman and Strongman Corporation, which was formerly North American Strongman. And, you know, they both have national championships every year. So it's getting a little bit more divided. But I feel, uh, for the most part, um, competition's good. Like, as as soon as another uh, amateur federation started in America, it make, I, I feel like more stuff started happening on the other side, like a pro class for women got started, you know, because you kind of have to. You have to yeah, stay yeah. above and offer more incentive. Um, and it, it got kind of stagnant there for a while because, you know, if you're the only game in town, um, you know, it's easy to, you know, myself just running my own business. And if no one else is reporting on, you know, the results at World's Strongest Man like I, I do on my website, you know, it's pretty easy to go, oh, I can just do that in the morning, but <laughs> now there's more websites doing that. I'm like, I got to make sure I do that right away. It just keeps you on your toes a little bit. But for the most part, there's uh, the the big the big shows are the Arnold's and uh, Giants Live slash Worlds for, for the most part. And then, um, you know, here, I just, if anyone's trying, wants to do like a local contest, just see if anything is in their area. That's, you know, show up, whatever seems fun, do that one. Don't, I, I feel even being a, I'm a state chair for California for Strongman Corporation. I tell people just compete wherever they feel is fun. You know, you don't have to play politics and be way on one side. Uh, once you start playing that game, you're, uh, you're, you're losing the whole, the reason why you probably picked a sport in the first place. Just keep it fun. Yeah. If it's not your job. <laughs> So uh, for you know for people coming into strongman, is there you know, in obstacle course racing? Uh, there's been a big push. You know, obstacle course racing world championships drug test people. Um, mm-hmm. Spartan World Championship has been saying they're going to start drug testing people, but I don't think they've actually done it. Um, is there is there drug testing in strongman, or is there a natural division? Like I, I know bodybuilding 
has like specifically like natural shows that like you're not supposed to take drugs and go into it. Um, sure. Is it similar in Strongman, or is it just kind of like we don't test and we don't ask, or kind of what's the um, deal with that? Yeah, I feel a lot of sports like like you're. It seems like what you're ending out as they said that they're going to start testing. I feel like they kind of have to say that just so they can say that they test. But what sport actually wants to find out? Like who who really wants to like find out that Santa Claus isn't real? You know what I mean? Like yeah. I don't think anyone really does. At at some point, like I think everyone was for the most part happier when Lance Armstrong was just out winning races and you know raising money for cancer than than now or you know it was just a a, a funner fairy tale um but in my opinion professional athletes are professional athletes and you have to do what it takes to be a professional uh there's a Marius Pujanowski quote you know he was one of the greatest strongmen of all time and they asked him about drugs on sport and he said if you want to learn the secrets of the church become a priest if you want to learn the secrets of an athlete if you want to learn the secrets of sport become an athlete <laughs> um but there's they at world's strongest man i know that they test for drugs as in like, yeah, like recreation recreational drugs it wasn't that uh, didn't marius pujanowski get eliminated one year for like cocaine or something yes or uh he some did sort of stimulant yeah 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 this is, it's a crazy world um <laughs> you wouldn't think that is but yeah there's just People are kind of intense. So, yeah, I think that was 2006 when they're in the Bahamas. I mean, when you're in the Bahamas, what, what are you going to do, right? <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, he did. So there's, as far as, you know, um, when people talk, you know, performance-enhancing drugs, what they're talking about, you know, it's, it's called the world's strongest man. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, there's not really – there's been natural federations. There's been a natural world championship, but it almost ends up being more – it's like, I, I, in my opinion, and people probably get mad if I say this, but I, I feel like drug testing is just another way to control athletes in some in some aspect. Like you always see, like in baseball, this could be my conspiracy theory, go you know, conspiracy hat going, but I, it feels like if some athletes like up for like a big arbitration number or has been like vocal about other things they don't like in the sport, all of a sudden after years, now the three months later they get popped for a drug test when they're you know, button heads with the front office or something. Um, but yeah, I feel, feel like you should have a look after the athlete's safety and that um, if someone wants to be a recreational athlete, that they shouldn't think that they have to do the same things that someone makes it their life doing um, would do. But yeah, basically there was, there's been world championships that were quote unquote natural in Turkey and stuff. And I, from from what I remember, it was just like people had to go up and like sign a paper that said yeah. they were natural. It's like it's almost a lot of sports and federations do just enough to save face. And you can see um, once sports get past that point where they're actively trying to catch people, how different it is. Like how long was the UFC drug testing before now every other week someone's testing positive? Like a decade they were saying they drug tested, but, you know, they weren't like – like the only way a sport can ever be somewhat close to clean is if you're basically hounding these people day in, an athlete day in and day out, like the UFC does with WADA now. Yeah. And in my opinion, that's that's kind of ridiculous. But yeah, I mean, I that's what, <laughs> I mean, cycling is they. I mean, it's like it's like a witch hunt in cycling. You know, they 
Yeah. They're going after people, and then, I mean, people are still finding ways to beat the system, and it's been people going are, on. People, people always will. It's been going on for years, though. So. Yeah, it's, it, almost, it almost ends up, then the entire sport becomes... Who can stay ahead of the other? Per- who can stay ahead of the other person? And like we're seeing now with like weightlifting, it's like that. That's how you know they're saving samples for ten years. And I'm sorry if, if I if I went up gold medal and that was on television, <laughs> you're not taking away that moment and that accomplishment from me ten years later. Yeah. It, you know, I, I'm sure there's a lot of other people that have a different viewpoint from me, but that's uh, mine. And it, I don't I don't feel that. And being around sports, the person who's taken the most drugs isn't the one who wins. From my, from, from my, you know, anecdotal evidence of just watching sport is, uh, I feel um, when you think that's your mindset, uh, you, I think a lot of people can have a, a nice short career, but not a long one. Because uh, at, at the end of the day, uh, a healthy body performs well, and if uh, you're going past the point where supplementation uh, is exceeded and excessive that it's going to cause health issues, and then your body breaks down eventually. So you you might be do good for two or three years, but the greatest of all time are the people that have done this for uh, you know decades and mm-hmm. stayed at a high level. Like you know, look at Zdeno Savickas. He's he competed in World's Strongest Man in '99. He's going after his fifth title this year. So. He's ridiculous. Yeah. So <clears throat> I'm fairly I don't know. I've always been clean uh, or natural. I, I've competed in a couple of natural bodybuilding competitions. Mm-hmm. I, I just didn't like, um, like you were saying earlier, the it didn't feel like they were. It felt like we were. They were just doing barely enough to say, like, yeah, we're natural. Um, yeah, that's that's my point. And yeah, like, I, if, I would be on stage with guys with like gynecomastia and like just some dudes that were like enormous, and I was like, are, are we serious? Like this guy is clearly doping next to me. Like. I don't know. If if you want to go in like the NPC, which is like the essentially the undrug tested bodybuilding sure. federation, then go for it. But like I don't know why. I feel like some guys would purposely go into the natural one uh, just to win a contest. I guess I'm not sure. It, it yeah, the, bizarre to me. Yeah, the the human uh, how how the human mind works and for how it draws motivation. It's uh, interesting. You know, like uh, people do a lot of things for a plastic trophy and just to say they did something when in reality it's like I, I have always felt like I wanted to compete at the highest level I could and see what I was made of so I wouldn't take a easier road and find a way to skirt the system um, in that way and I don't think if a sport is drug tested especially if there's another avenue and another federation that just doesn't care what you do that you should but I feel like it almost kind of ruins the fun of a sport when people are just you know, at the, it, once a lot of money gets involved and it's at a high level, when there's just a, it's more more all the news is the witch hunt on uh, who's doing what instead of the accomplishments, uh, you know, the athletes are doing. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, I always say I always say that uh, strongman's the only honest sport. <laughs> <laughs> so, are, since uh, are there any pro strongmen that make a living just off competing, or does everyone have like a side job? Like I know. In obstacle course racing, we have we have I'd say the very very tip top of the sport. Uh, there's probably about five to ten people who don't have a side job, and even even them, I would kind of consider them having a side job because a lot of them have like online training businesses and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So are yeah, there any pro strongmen? Yeah, are there any pro strongmen who like all I do is compete, 
and I have sponsors, and I don't train anyone or run websites or anything like that, something like that. Yeah, I'd say that it's probably roughly the same. You know, a good dozen or so guys, five to ten, uh, you know, that have made enough impact on the sport that they're able to have sponsors. But again, that's still a job. You uh, you know, you have to make appearances here. You have obligations. You have to do photo shoots, etc. Um, but yeah, probably five to ten guys. Eddie Hall's made a good amount of money. Um, I think I, I would. I don't like to speak for how much other people make. Uh, you know, Brian Shaw. I, we'll say people are full time. They don't have like a nine to five job or yeah. are constantly pushing online training or something. You know, like a service. Um, but yes, yeah, like Eddie Hall, Brian Shaw, um, Hafthor Bjornsson, some guys out there. Uh, Zadrunas owns a gym, but he's made some decent money on the sport. Um, yeah, my, my, yeah, like I said, Robert Oberst. He he just has sponsors and. And does you know does stuff so <laughs> doesn't have a, a nine to five job but it's it's possible I mean but yeah, yeah the ma- vast majority of people even if they're a quote unquote pro um, it's probably costing them more money to compete in the sport than they're gonna make yeah I saw uh, I saw Eddie Hall's documentary I think it's just called Strongman on Netflix yes, Strongman Eddie yeah. I thought it was pretty good. I know uh, I listened to the first couple episodes of your podcast, and I know I know you, um, uh, your co-host has some mixed feelings. Oh, they're good friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you go back, the um, yeah the first episodes, right when uh, you know Eddie, they were kind of right at the same level, and uh, they're going to compete against each other at the Loglift World Championship. So we had fun back and forth with that, and it, it gave the podcast a good hit. Like I've never hit numbers again since like a. Uh, the third episode when Eddie Hall called us out and called us two rednecks in, in California talking <laughs> shit on him and, and thankfully posted the link. That that was nice of him. But, uh, but yeah, no, they're, they're, they're friends. It's, uh, you know, they got a good banner going and that's what you have to be to be a professional. You got to, you know, people want to complain about their getting more money in the sport or getting more people involved, but you got to put on a show uh, and it has to transcend. It has to go above, just what your performance was you know the showman or if you're a showman and you got a good personality that draws people to you're gonna uh, be more successful in any niche sport monetarily you can go back from anywhere from you know the ufc to strongman or anything the people people remember the or even looking back at strongman people remember john ball sigmerson etc because you know he was loud he was kazmaier he was shouting, I'm the Viking at everyone and doing theatrics and, and all that versus, you know, Magnus or Magnuson won just as many times, but he's, he's, and he's still around. He's a little more soft spoken. More people yeah. know who Eddie Hall is than, you know, his, his countryman, his countrymate, Lawrence Chalet, even though Lawrence has also placed third at, at Worlds, I believe, and won Europe's that, and has won Europe's where Eddie hasn't. So, I'm, you know, Eddie's, I think, more accomplished and stronger at this point, but you know, he just has something that draws people to him. Hmm. And he, yeah. he also works on that. Uh, Hobie call one of the, definitely the, I'd say the best American obstacle course racer ever so far. And, you know, possibly one of the best in the world. And he won Spartan world championship this last year at age 39. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's big into that. He'll, he'll call people out before races and, you know, make bold predictions. Like I'm going to win every, I'm gonna, you know, race the five biggest races this year and win every one. Um, 
So I think he he's got a similar mindset to like trying to drum up some drama, you know, on the social media channels, which you know makes people it drives people to the live feeds and to the you know broadcast on NBC. So we're talking about it right now. Yeah. It's yeah. a it's the, the Conor McGregor, you know, like uh, is, is he the best fighter in the world? He's he's damn good, but why did uh you know he trans has he transcended the sport into popular culture? It's because uh some about him and and he works on his media. Yeah, he, he he said in an interview, which I I try to you know tell the people he said you know in mixed martial arts you have your different skills you need to work on. You got your jujitsu, your boxing, your wrestling your media is like, it's equal. Like if you want to be successful as a professional in the sport, um, then you have to, you have to take it and you have to take that into account. You know, I talk to people all the time. How do you know, like I got not a big following, but more so than I think any other lightweight strongman is because it's something I worked on. And it's also, you can't be fake about it though. Like people, if, if, if you have to just, amplify your natural personality already or whatever you're about and just accentuate that it can't you can't just if if you're like a if you're not a shit talker you can't just start talking shit everywhere it's gonna seem weird but you know you, you gotta just have fun with it and uh my advice when people always ask me you know, how to make money in, in the sport is i tell them to stay in school <laughs> that's probably a better way to go <laughs> you know they have more options than i did <laughs> nice the um so well, kind of one more question and then we'll start we'll we'll wrap this up um sure. so are there you know when obstacle course racing one of the things we're dealing with is like you know people talk about pro cards or the possibility of issuing pro cards or yeah um, is there like quote unquote pro strongman like do you have like a physical card that says like I'm a pro strongman or is it just like I hit a certain status <laughs> or got invited to a certain competition or I I make you know x amount of my living on strongman so i consider myself pro now yeah there is there are physical cards uh strongman corporation runs they they implemented that um you know in the i think the early 2000s or maybe a little earlier where they had that division where you could win pro cards at the contest i was just at i think three pro cards were given away and then you're eligible to compete in pro contests uh it gets a little to sum it up yes there are pro cards um and also, yes, there are other people that just compete in pro, you know, quote unquote level shows because they've accomplished things and kind of circumvented the system because, you know, it's not a there's not one sanctioning body over it. Okay. Um, I feel like there's a good room for both. Like it, it's kind of it's kind of they issue they instituted like a pro strongwoman class last year. And since then, it's real. And that incentive really excelled the women's side of thing. It seems like it's growing really quick and just how, how much stronger the women got so much quicker when there's that like carrot dangling seemed to it just, you know, it made it explode. So I think it's good in that aspect. But in, in, in my mind, I'm like, you were all already competing at that high level against each other. And being able to market the show as a pro class, I think has drawn in a little bit more money for sponsors. Like there was $10,000, for uh, you know, just a show at a random Europa, those put you know put on at the Charlotte Europa this past weekend. So I think that helps, but I think it, man, you be careful what you wish wish for though. You know, the, the more you're you're it, you kind of you know, it, it almost makes it more political in a sense if you are you know in a sport and you 
and you're dividing it like that and uh instead of like you look at crossfit and how successful they are they don't have a pro class they just have a a system of uh you have to get through these steps and it's gonna you know and anyone has that same shot and uh you know and it makes it so it doesn't matter if you're rich froning or whoever if you can't still compete at that level you don't get a chance to play on the big, big stage likewise you could be joe schmo off the couch and um theoretically win the crossfit games and not even been in it last year, you know? So uh, there just needs to be some filter system to get to that level. Uh, I feel it's a, kind of a better way to get it and inviting it. But, you know, in, in my class, as a lightweight 175, it's the only division that doesn't that still doesn't have a pro class. So, you know, I'll get, I'll get hate on, on the Internet because, you know, people say I talk with authority on the sport when I'm not a pro. It's like... It's like there is no such thing. Yeah, for um, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, and you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and defend my accomplishments because it's it's silly. Um, but I will also say I'm one of the only ones that's ever gotten paid to go to a contest. I'm probably the only 175 I can think of that ever got not paid to win a contest, paid to show up to contests. So, so you know, you can take that however you want. Not in my mind, so. People, people just want they want a little card to stick in their wallet. I guess you know. I don't know. Uh, it's it's an accomplishment. It's an achievement if you do that in our sport, and I think it's great. And there is good, but you know, there's no free lunch. There's there's upsides and downsides each way. Yeah, I know. Um, I've talked to triathletes before that have talked to, uh, that are now like into obstacle course racing. They've talked about some of the. Uh-huh. some of the negative aspects of having a governing body like yeah, USA Triathlon, kind of overwatching you know, the sport and how it's not all, basically, I think, I think that's a good point you brought up. Like, it's not all sunshine and rainbows, you know, when people, people want certain sanctioning bodies or pro cars or stuff like that, you know, there's, there's good and negative that comes with that. Um, yeah. I actually have a, I wrote an article that I haven't, actually by the time this comes out, it'll probably be up on Mud Run Guide uh, about the Olympics and kind of highlighting a lot of the quote unquote, what I think consider negative aspects that would that, it, that mm-hmm. the Olympics would bring to obstacle course racing. It would bring a lot of positive too, but you know I think uh, people just need to be aware that there's there, there's not not everything's going to be perfect when that if that change happens. So um. no, yeah, that's uh, it. It would definitely change the sport. Any sport, um, you know, that doesn't already have a tradition of it, it's going to make it more uh, clean and uh, you know it kind of uh, disinfects everything. And it, it's I think that's one of the reasons why we you know, get attracted to a niche sport in the first place. I'm not trying to, you know, say, like, keep everything underground and, and silly, but it's kind of, like, people like Strongman because it's the freak show. Um, yeah. You know, that, that's what it is. I mean, Eddie Hall came out to Europe's Strongest Man and with a gimp mask on and dressed in chains. A lot of people thought that was too much, but then other people liked it, and there's sold-out stadium with 11,000 people in it. So, <laughs> uh, you know, and then... It, that's an Olympic sport. You're not going to be able to get that if, uh, you know, there's all these, you know, there's, there needs to be some standardization, but I think it needs to stay a little loose. I'll be interested to see that article though. I I, I bet it's uh, kind of funny how, how many overlaps there are between, you know, the two communities. Yeah. I think, uh, I think people listening to this will draw a lot out of the, our conversation and just kind of hearing your side of the sport and hearing its development. I mean, 
I think you could argue Obstacle Course Racing was a TV show first, too, because, I mean, Ninja Warrior's mm-hmm. been around for... American Ninja Warrior's been around for nine years, but, you know, Sasuke, the Japanese version, has been around for whatever, I don't know, 20. Um, yeah. And that, that's essentially Obstacle Course Racing in its shortest form. So, I mean, the obstacles are touching each other versus, you know, now they're... Like, it would be considered a kind of long course, what we do. Uh, right. Part, you know, you know, three to... 13 miles for most of them, and then at the extreme end of the spectrum, 8 to 24 hours in length. So Yeah, so so if, you, if you're trying to d- describe to someone what you do, um, you know, just someone at a, like, random barbecue or, or you know, you're stuck on a plane and someone asks you what you do, uh, you kind of, you probably, have you ever seen American Ninja Warriors? Probably the, the way you go, I'd imagine, just like guys say, hey, have you ever seen those big guys pulling a truck and throwing kegs over a bar? On world's strongest man, so you have to you have to think outside of your sport, and if you're already in a niche community and you're so wrapped up in it, you have to think about outside. You have to think about the first moment that you were aware of this thing and what you drew, drew to it, and also what the outside world um, identifies it with. So if you're trying to you're thinking about all these little teeny things, and they're just thinking, you know, I want to see some guy scale a giant wall and some guy shout at him in Japanese. That was entertaining. So you, you probably want to keep the sport more like that because that's why it even started in the first place. So people want to see, like, I want to see someone, you know, running with a car on their back. I couldn't believe this guy named Magnus from Iceland did that. And then this other guy, he was holding a freaking sword up. If we go, if you go to the Olympics, they're going to, you know, it's not going to be a sword. It's going to be this, you know, standard implement that tests the same thing, but it doesn't have that visual appeal. So you can almost, uh, and it can kind of it could end up killing the sport in a way because uh, you're just placating for the people that are already uh, indoctrinated, and uh, you're not you're not drawing in any new eyeballs the same for because the thing that drew you in possibly went away and you don't even realize it. Yep. I think that'll uh, I think that'll wrap it up. Um, any uh, any last shout outs you want to give to anyone or brands or people yeah yeah i think um if anyone is interested in the sport of strongman uh you know there's uh i run the website startingstrongman.com and we have a whole store and uh on you know just with products for the sport along with uh just information on what happens and of course the strong talk podcast on itunes where we interview different athletes in the sport um and that's pretty much it starting strongman on all social media and you know i'm kale beck on all social media and uh, I also, if anyone wants more programming, I do uh, programming for Complete Human Performance, which is completehumanperformance.com, um, which they also have some, uh, you know, OCR athletes uh, on staff. And we kind of jointly, uh, you know, trade information uh, with each other or clients. Like if someone wanted to do some strongman, then go do it you know, like OCR and kind of mix it up back and forth, we can kind of come up with like a, you know, hybrid plan. It's, you know, hybrid training. Um, so that would probably interest people. And the one thing I want to, um, as far as approaching implements and that, you know, actually give you actual training advice other than talking about politics and all the nitty gritty stuff that people like, but just leave you with a little bit of training information is um, the if there is like odd obstacles, you know, strongman style training, in uh, some of your races, even if they're not heavy, just knowing basic 
um, form on the lifts, even at like the highest level, like how we do it at Strongman, I feel is just, uh, you know, by being more proficient in the movement, it, it might not seem like it right away, but it's going to make you uh, not, you're not going to use as much effort to do it. So you're going to be, you know, even fresher than to go for your run after you complete that obstacle, et cetera. So just learn some basic uh, technique on the lifts. And we have, you know, a YouTube channel and on, you know, starting from on YouTube and uh, on our website with information on those lists, I think would uh, be very beneficial. And uh, it kind of helps, like, you know, if you if you know how to move an odd object and you kind of learn leverages and hand positions, then it, it, you know, like when I have to, when I have to move, I'm pretty good at moving a couch. So it has some real world applications as well. Awesome. Well, uh, Cal, thanks again for coming on the show. I know uh, this past year, World's Toughest Mudder actually broadcast their championship event on Christmas Day, which is normally around the same time that World's Strongest Man is on. So awesome. I feel like I feel like we may be competing for the same uh, audience at, at some point. Um, yeah, prob- probably a bit, but uh, I, I have the mindset of uh, there's there's a there's a giant pie and everyone can have a slice. And uh, yeah, as long as you just keep growing that, it doesn't get like you grow everything as a whole. It doesn't get smaller. I, I never see anything a competition. And, and that's how people should also view, uh, you know, different federations, this or that in strongman or in any niche sport, just uh, uh, think, think outside of it and how to grow it as a whole. And uh, everyone will be happy in the end and everyone will uh, prosperous as well. What was kind of funny was when um, when they announced World Strong, I mean World, when they announced World's Toughest Mudder would be on Christmas Day. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I had a couple of my friends online be like, "Well, who's gonna watch it on Christmas Day? That's a terrible time. Everyone, you know, no man. one watches." And I was like, "I was like, me and my dad watch World's Strongest Man like every year uh-huh. for several years on Christmas Day. Like, I, I that's like a very specific memory I have. You know, stretching back yeah, like several and, years. And it's it's a yeah, and you have it's to, a freak show, right? So like. Dude, sure. Like you said, dudes are lifting cars, um, and we're, like, for World's Toughest Mudder, it's a freak show, but in a different way. I mean, people mm-hmm. are running around for 24 hours climbing over obstacles in wetsuits and jumping in ice baths. Like, when I, when I, the first time I told, I mean, not the first time, but at one point I was talking to one of my runner friends, and I was like, yeah, I, I do a 24-hour obstacle course race. And he's like, well, what's your strategy? And I was like, <laughs> I don't understand. And he's, I was like, I run and climb over obstacles. He's like, well, you can't do it for 24 hours, and I was like, I can, and I do. Like, I, I just keep moving. Like, I'm not moving. I'm not moving fast, but I'm physically moving for 24 hours, and uh, I sometimes forget. Like, again, you get into your 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 sport, you get kind of like isolated, and I forget to norm to normal people. That is very very bizarre. Like, you are, you are at the freak end of the spectrum, of uh, you know doing things to your body. Um, so it's just, like I said, niche for it, far, far on, uh, you guys are far on the strength side. We're far on, at least for that event, far on the endurance side. But um, Yeah, I think there's the similarity too is that it's uh, non-standardized, you know, like we're, like weightlifting and let's say, uh, you know, Olympic marathon are very on the, on the, too far ends just being non-standard and having different challenges and uh constantly changing and uh you know having variety makes uh it seems like the ocr and the strongman are kind of kind of in the same group with that but yeah you just uh you have to remember how impactful that is for you know you, like think about when you're a kid that means you know other kids like they're watching with their parents and they 
like I know when I was a kid, when I watched World's Strongest Man as a kid, I was, you know, small and I was like, I just want to be all I could ever think about was being big and strong one day. And, uh, you know, it's just a, a blessing that I was able to find that in my life. So and uh, it pretty much it's turned into my career on growing that just some somehow, some way. Um, so you have to think like how impactful that one moment can be on, you know, someone who's eight, nine, ten younger. They remember that, you know, so. It's pretty cool. If you, if you, you just have to, you have to, you have to keep looking at your sport through the eyes of a of an eight year old of an eight year old boy that's uh, seen something amazing that they didn't know was was a reality. It seems like something that's only in comic books, um, you know. And uh, keep if, if you can keep that that look on your own sport. Uh, if you if you're listening to a podcast that's specific to a niche sport, that means you're pretty entrenched in it. So. Uh, yeah, just look outside of it with, uh, you know, that uh, fresh look, and uh, you, you'll probably enjoy it some more. All right, well, awesome. I think we'll leave it at that. At that, uh, the looking at, looking at your sport through the eyes of a eight-year-old kid. So, <laughs> that, I think that's an awesome way to look at things. And uh, again, Cal, thanks again for coming on the podcast. Go check out his website if you're interested in strongman, or just some hybrid training, or just mixing up your OCR. Uh, go go check that out, and uh, we will see you next week. And that's it from Strength and Speed. Thank you.